Our Old Testament reading comes from 1 Kings 3, 1 through 15. We're continuing to read some of the the major prayers that we find in Scripture. And and this is one from King Solomon. So uh, if you turn to 1 Kings 3, 1 to 15, and hear this word of the Lord. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept from him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for, those, uh, for, for who is able to govern this your great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. You know, Solomon was put into a position where there was a tremendous amount of responsibility that was laid upon his shoulders. He was a king, for one, and just being a king, being in that position, obviously comes with all of the kingly duties, right? All of the responsibility in that. But even more than that, he was the king of God's covenant people, right? That comes with an added weight, an added burden that was placed upon him. Solomon, we're told, was uh, one who loved the Lord. And he walked in the statutes of David. Now there, weren't, uh, there wasn't a temple to sacrifice at the time, but uh, it does still appear. He's, 
You know, he's trying in, in a less than ideal, in a less than, than what is desired ultimately for worship. He's still seeking to worship God by making sacrifice. And so, as a uh, faithful man worshiping the Lord, it's at, it's at that time, it's through this time of worship that God then appears to him in a dream. And they speak together. And so this really is, as, a, you know, as, as Solomon uh, is, is spoken to by the Lord and then responds with a request at the, at the command of the Lord or at the questioning of the Lord, um, we should really see this as a kind of prayer. We've talked about prayer as, as being uh, responsive to what God has already said. And that's what's happening here. It's a kind of conversation with God. And God asks him. He simply, he just appears and just asks, it says. Ask what I shall give you, he said. Right? Ask what I shall give you. Can you imagine that? God, the creator and sustainer of all things, appears, and the, the connotation of what he says is, is whatever you want, I will give you. Whatever you are going to ask of me, I'm going to provide for you. Imagine that. What would you ask for? Kids. Kids, if God said, what should I give you? What would come to mind, right? What are you going to be thinking about? For everyone, right? What are you thinking about if God says, whatever you want, you tell me, and it's yours? How would you use that opportunity? Right? What if you could, you could overcome any obstacle in your life and everyone that's ever looked down on you or not believed in you or been antagonistic to you, what if you could just prove them wrong all of a sudden? Right? You could show them instantly. What if you could have the, the kind of fame where uh, people are just excited to see you and, and meet you, right? a kind of world-renowned? What if you could be wealthy beyond all measure? Right? What if you never struggled again to know if you were going to have enough, but you could have anything that you want? You had everything. Right? What would you ask for if God presented this to you? Right? What if that, that uh, a person that you were so interested in, you were so in love with, all of a sudden they just loved you, right? They couldn't get enough of you. There's so many things that we would ask. Right? In so many you know, popular uh, myths and stories, you have stories of genies and, and things like this that ask, you know, you have three wishes. What would you want? Right? God is telling Solomon, what is it? What is it that you want? But Solomon doesn't ask for all of these things. He asks for wisdom, for discernment. And he doesn't even ask for this, for this understanding, so that he could become wealthy, so that he could become a man of great stature that everybody would look up to and come to for his great insight, for the fame. He didn't, he didn't ask of this for that reason. He asks for wisdom so that he can do a good job at what God had already given him to do. So that he could lead God's people well. And so that it would bring glory to the Lord. There's this constant repetition. You know, you're great people. Right? Help me to lead your people, Lord. It's, it's in essence saying, I want you to be glorified. I want your people to do well. 
His prayer is all focused on what he can do for others and what he can do for the Lord, for God and others. That's the direction of his prayer. And that is exactly the kind of man that God will give more to. And he does. He says, I'm going to give you that. I will give you just that what you've asked. And I'm going to give you more. Right? And I'm going to give you the riches that you didn't ask for. I'm going to, to give you all of the wisdom. Jesus Christ says, ask and you shall receive. The Apostle John says that the reason that you don't have is because you have not asked, because you have not prayed. Now, there's more to it than that, because John will go on, and we've, we've talked about this verse a little bit already, but he goes on to say, and the reason when you ask, you don't receive is because you just want to spend it on your passions, because you ask out of selfishness, right, for personal ambition, for personal wealth, for personal fame, for personal, it's all about you. But what we see here is that the direction of our prayers and the things that we request, we, our petitions as we raise them up to the Lord, they should be directed toward the glory of God and the good of his people. That's what we want. That should be our heart. And when, when that is our prayer, God absolutely does grant us those things that we request. Our New Testament reading continues uh, from Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, uh, we'll be reading verse 9 to 13. Obviously very familiar. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 811. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. You know, there is something in uh, most people that longs to uh, be led by a strong leader, somebody that you can follow, you can look up to and trust and follow, someone that will provide uh, security, somebody that will provide stability, or someone that you could admire. There's a desire that we all have for this sort of person. You could ask any man in this room and, you know, they're probably going to be able to say that, you know, for most of your life growing up, especially as a young boy, and honestly, it just, I think it just keeps going. Uh, it's at least made it as far as I am in my life, that there's this desire to kind of heed a call to war from some kind of leader that'll, you know, lead you into a battle, right? We love the, the scenes from movies or, or shows or, or reading in books of you know, battles where you're against all odds, you're led by a good man, right? A rightful king or, or somebody that you are willing to lay down your life for. And you follow them into battle, right? Even knowing that there's no shot that we're going to win this. It doesn't matter. And you want that, right? You want to do that sort of thing, right? Inside every young boy, there is a little bit of a crusader, a kind of holy warrior. Uh, I 
recently I told Emily, I was, there was one week, I don't know when it was, but I felt kind of overwhelmed and, and just kind of down. And I told Emily, you know, I just need to watch, uh, you know, some kind of war movie where there's like zero chance of survival and men still have to run across some battlefield where there's explosions all around and everybody's getting hit, but they still have to do it. And I was like, I just need to watch that. That'll make me feel better. <laughs> like that'll, that'll uplift my spirit. And it's a little goofy, but there's that like desire of, I want to give myself to something, to some kind of a, a kingdom, a battle. Now this side of the Christian faith for some time has been downplayed somewhat. You could say that the church has in some ways gotten soft in peacetime, you know, in comfort and, and without recognizing where there is opposition to Christ and his kingdom, uh, many have begun to think of Jesus, the, the character of Jesus and what he's like, as almost a kind of holy pushover, right? That's what he was. He, he was just a soft man, that the gospel is about, you know, having a relationship with God, which means that you just feel good about yourself, right? And he teaches you how to be nice to other people. Jesus is likened in many ways then to a kind of kindergarten teacher that just wants to keep everybody friendly and, and doesn't want any rough housing in the classroom. But when Jesus came preaching, what did he preach? What did he preach? He preached that the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is here. The good news that the rightful king of Israel had appeared. That he was establishing a new kingdom and that this kingdom would be a kingdom that would never end. That it would be established forever. That he was here to conquer all of his enemies and draw all people under his rule as the king of kings. Right? So there was, it, was, it was a great battle that in a sense was being waged. It was a battle that had been going on for some time and now the tide was turning, right? The king had come home. He had come back. We like to say that knowing God is a kind of relationship and that's, that's good and right, it's true, right? We say that all the time. And sometimes we think though that, you know, that relationship is like of a romantic nature. Um, it's, it's about finding some kind of fulfillment in, in another person. And that's not all wrong, of course, right? The, the, the motif of, of a wedding, of, of a bride and a groom, that's, that is exactly what the relationship between Christ and his people corporately is. But on an individual level, the gospel is a proclamation that you belong to the kingdom of darkness by nature, but that your rightful king and ruler has now appeared. He has come, and he's been established on his throne. And so the, the call is for you to join him and his people, giving your allegiance to him and joining in his victory march, or be crushed with the opposition. Jesus teaches us to pray then, your kingdom come. That's how you are to pray. Your kingdom come. That's how you should be directing your prayers, that his victory march, as the king of kings would continue, that his kingdom would advance among you, that his kingdom of grace, as he rules it, as he is, is uh, 
bringing it and, and working it out in our lives, that that would continue, and that his kingdom of glory, his kingdom as it will be established someday, would come quickly. So that's the prayer. When, when you're praying your kingdom come, you're praying that God's kingdom would even now advance in you and, and among us and in the world, and that his kingdom of glory would be established at his coming. You need to start seeing the story of the Bible in terms of the kingdom of God and the coming of this kingdom. You know, when we, when we pray, your kingdom come, uh, sometimes we are maybe confused that this is because Jesus doesn't have a kingdom yet and he needs to still establish it. Well, that's not true, right? We're praying, again, twofold, that his kingdom that he has already established would continue to advance and that it would be established in glory someday, that that kingdom of glory, right, the, the kingdom in its perfection would come. And you need to see this throughout all of Scripture. God established the, the world as a kingdom, as a kind of kingdom. And he is, of course, the true king and ruler, but people were made in his image as those who would rule it on his behalf. This was a common uh, thing that would happen in the ancient world where, where kings, when they would establish their rule somewhere that was far from them, they would have statues of themselves made, images of themselves set up, as if to say, I'm still ruling, but I'm doing it from a distance through this image. And that's much of what it means to be made in the image of God. It's not so unlike where countries today will raise their flag when they have conquered somewhere, right? As, as a sign of victory, as a sign of, of the way that, that they have established their dominion. Adam and Eve were made as God's vice regents to rule on his behalf. And when they listened to the serpent in the garden, what they're doing is ceding the, the rule, the dominion, that they were given to the devil, to Satan himself, in a sense giving that dominion to him. Now God, of course, was never not ruling, right? It wasn't as though he was out of control, but Adam truly was the covenant head of all creation. And he gave away that authority. And so a battle begins, a battle between the, the kingdom of God, those who called upon his name, and the kingdom or seed of the serpent, those who would continue in rebellion, that rebellion that began in the garden. This is Cain versus Abel. This is Esau versus Jacob. This is Canaan and Egypt versus Israel, or Babylon versus Judah. For much of the history of the Old Testament, the battle seems to favor the enemy. Even the people of God at many times will will fall over and over again into that same sin of Adam, right? Giving the, the dominion that belongs only to God, submitting it to him and taking that and giving it to false gods or idols. But throughout the Old Testament, there's a promise of a coming king, right? One who would be greater than Adam and a kingdom that he would establish that would turn the tide of this battle. You know these passages. For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So there's promises that a kingdom is coming. A kingdom from God in the heavens that would destroy the kingdom of darkness. That it would be established on earth and that it would grow to fill the earth. Right? This is a promise that shows up over and over and over again. And when Jesus is born, who is he declared to be? The king. Right? This is the one, the, the one that has been promised. The king had come. Angels announced it. In his ministry, miracles declared it. And Jesus himself preached it. That the kingdom of God was here. The kingdom of God has come. It's at hand. But it was different than it was expected. It didn't come in the way that many thought. Jesus came in power, but he came to establish a spiritual kingdom. When his disciples would ask him about the, the coming of his kingdom, is it now? Are you going to establish the kingdom now? They thought this meant finally we get to take vengeance. We get to take up arms and fight off the Romans. Jesus even had a disciple who was a zealot, uh, which is to say a kind of violent revolutionary, right, that wanted to finally start this, this war with the Romans to kick them out of Israel, and then from there for Israel to take over the whole world. But it didn't happen that way. That's not what Jesus came to do. And so Jesus wasn't recognized as the king that he was. Instead, he was handed over to the Romans, the ones that they thought, I thought we're going to win against them. And yet they're here standing in judgment over you. Right? It seemed as though uh, the kingdoms of man had power over this coming king and over the kingdom that he declared was there. But that wasn't the case. Remember when Jesus is speaking to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus established his kingdom truly, and it's a spiritual kingdom. He truly is seated on the throne. And so when he tells you to pray, your kingdom come, it's a prayer that that kingdom, which he truly established, would continue to advance. But you have to get it deep inside of you, deep in your bones, that when you pray for the kingdom of God to continue its advance in the world, it's understanding that this kingdom is not an earthly kingdom that proceeds by earthly means. His kingdom doesn't advance at the tip of the spear, but at the proclamation of the sword of the spirit. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and spiritual doesn't mean not real. 
Right? This is especially as, as modern, so influenced by you know, materialism and enlightenment thinking. We think that, well, what's real is, is these sorts of things, the physical things, right? The, that's what's real. And anything outside of that, when we talk about spiritual things, well, it's just like an idea, but it's not real. No, when, when we say that Christ established a spiritual kingdom, we're saying he, he established a, a kingdom that is much deeper than simply visible earthly reality. It's possible to force someone to acquiesce to your rule without having any deeper effect than that, right? Without actually turning their loyalties to you, right? You could spend decades trying to force a people to agree to your democratic values through military occupation, but you know that this doesn't actually change anyone's heart. It doesn't actually affect anything in the long run. It doesn't change their allegiance. In your home, you know this. You know that you can be as strict as you could possibly be, right? You can, you can through corporal discipline, force a kind of visible obedience of your children, but still not have their heart. And the minute that they can, They'll leave everything that you taught them. This happens over and over again. Because there's something deeper than just the visible, earthly, and physical. Spiritual realities go deeper. And Jesus didn't come for a mere formality of rule. Right? To get people to say, okay, he's the king, and then go on doing whatever they want. Without changing their hearts, without changing their allegiance. He didn't come for people to say with their lips that they belong to him, but then continue to serve Moloch or Mammon or Baal or Aphrodite or Zeus or any other in their hearts. Right? He came to truly rule, to destroy the kingdoms of darkness, to bring people into and under his comprehensive rule, right? to, and to reestablish his original intent of image bearers freely and willingly serving him and ruling on his behalf. He didn't come for a formality. He came for everything. And in order to have everything, it has to start with that which is deepest, that which is spiritual. And so his kingdom is thus a spiritual kingdom because people had not gone astray in body alone. Right? People hadn't just begun to uh, chase after false gods, just, you know, in body, visibly, they had changed their loyalty and allegiance. They had rejected his truthful kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And so it, it goes for that which is more fundamental than just the outward conformity. His kingdom is a kingdom of grace. And so he works through his gracious means to change people's hearts, to give them an upright spirit, to take them out of darkness and translate them into his marvelous light. And so his kingdom does not advance by earthly means. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're not praying that God's kingdom would advance like an earthly kingdom. His kingdom advances through the proclamation of the gospel as he sets spiritual prisoners free. His kingdom advances through love as he truly changes the hearts of his people. His kingdom advances through 
forgiveness. The Apostle Paul says that, that our battle, uh, our battle on behalf of Christ as Christians, as those soldiers in his army, it's not against flesh and blood. No, it's against, it's against the powers and, and, and authorities, the spiritual forces of darkness in the world. Because you can force somebody visibly to look like they're doing what they're supposed to and they're, they're, they, they are following God and they're submitting to his kingdom and know that that might not actually be true in their heart. But you can't force somebody who has been changed, who has a new heart, right, who has been resurrected unto newness of life in Christ. You can't force that person to submit to darkness anymore. You can't force that person. There's, there's no taking away the freedom that comes with the Holy Spirit. And so it's by these means that God accomplishes his will. It's through the declarative and ministerial power of the church, through the means of grace that he's established. It's through prayer, which is why he teaches you to pray your kingdom come. And this happens, this advancement of the kingdom of God happens as as you are transformed more into the, the likeness of the Son, as God changes your heart and humbles you, as you submit to him in faith, and your loyalty to sin and the devil and to self changes to a loyalty to him, that you belong fully and totally to him, that you're his subject. And it's not out of just pure force, but truly with heart allegiance to him. And willingness to follow him into battle to support his continued victory march. To do whatever it takes to see his kingdom established in more and more people. He continues then to advance his kingdom among you as he breaks the power of sin in your life. Right? As he breaks those, those sinful passions and desires that you have. As you seek cheerfully to serve your king in whatever station of life he's called you to. Right? Where your goal is not just personal advancement and security, but the advancement and the security of his kingdom and those that he rules. Everything becomes for God and his people, for God and his glory. And so when you pray this, you're praying, Lord, teach me greater loyalty. Right? Teach me greater discipline and obedience that I might be faithful to you. And so you become one of his holy warriors. And as you use the, the weapons of your warfare, those things which he has given you to advance his kingdom through prayer, through obedience, through joy and peace, love and hope and forgiveness. Right? As you do that, his, his kingdom grows, his kingdom continues it advances i heard the testimony this week uh, of uh, a man named victor marx and uh, he he's a man that that runs a ministry now saving uh, particularly children out of out of situations of human trafficking and and uh, you know i won't just repeat his whole story and i couldn't probably even from the pulpit it he had a very dark life um, he suffered a kind of darkness and abuse that just goes beyond words. It's just horrific, horrific stuff. He had unspeakable things done to him. 
especially at the hands of a, of a very, uh, just a wicked stepfather. And growing up, having had that happen, he, he became uh, somebody that in earthly terms was incredibly powerful. Right? He joined the military, became a Marine. Um, they were, I was listening to his story, and they said at one point, I don't know if this was hyperbole, they said he has the, the world's fastest uh, uh, disarm of someone with a gun, that he can do that faster than anybody. Um, and he said he learned that because of the times that he would have a gun held to his head by his stepfather. Uh, he wanted, he just thought, I'm, ne- I'm never going to let somebody be able to do that again. Right? So just horrifically evil things happen to him. And then he becomes an incredibly powerful man in earthly terms. And he told the story of how God changed his heart and changed his life in that. And how he had the opportunity to reconnect with this stepfather that uh, by all means he deserved to die. I mean this man deserved death. And how he says God told him to forgive him. Um, Not just forgive him but tell him that he loved him and provided for him in some ways. And he's in a position where he could do incredible damage to this man. Right? He could destroy this man physically and then God taught him to forgive even this, even this man. And it led to his stepfather's profession of faith before his death. Right? And now it's his testimony. I was listening to this in the, in the car. I was just weeping. <laughs> I was just weeping about this guy's story. Uh, but it, it's led to this testimony of how God's kingdom can advance even in the darkest places. Right? Even in the darkest of places, he advances his kingdom. And he didn't do so through this man that could do earthly damage to evil, which he could and does. He did so primarily through changing his heart, through giving him the ability to be free from the sins that were done to him, being able to forgive. Okay, and by doing that, he took a greatly evil man right in the grip of darkness, and he destroyed him. He killed him, but brought him back to life. That's what God does. That's how he advances his kingdom in you. So that the power of darkness has no more power over you. Right? In fact, you, being united to Christ as a co-heir of Christ, are given power over it. Are given power over the sin in your life. He continually strengthens you that you might do damage to the kingdom of darkness. So we pray that that kingdom, that God's kingdom of grace would advance among us. Not just internally, though. That that would be externalized in the church. That it would be externalized in our lives. That God would provide those things that that are most needed for the spiritual kingdom to grow. Through the establishing of churches. Through the faithful preaching of the word. Through the administration of the sacraments. Through the prayers of his people. Right, that God would, would raise up officers for this battle. And that uh, as, he, as he does this, that grace of his that changes your heart, that it would be externalized in your life. And that as that happens, it's a prayer that, that the kingdom of darkness would be destroyed. That we would see the, the further destruction of Satan's kingdom. That all the works of the devil would be destroyed. Right? That all false religions would come to an end. That the demonic practices of the world in abortion or human trafficking or or abuse or unjust war or violence or any 
of the lies or the debauchery of the world, that it would all come to an end. That Jesus Christ would see fit to use you in ways to destroy the power of darkness in the world. So understanding that the nature of God's kingdom as it, as it is at work in you, as it works beyond you, you pray that that kingdom would advance, that that would continue. That's what we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. Pray because you are, in fact, one of God's vice regents, ruling alongside of Christ, seated on the throne with him. And you're being renewed in his image and likeness, and so given more and more authority under him. And it's not just you, right? It's not just you alone being given some kind of spiritual authority. It's within the, the greater community of the church, right? It's, there, this happens a lot, especially uh, if you're a young man in here and you're uh, you know, really interested in Reformed theology. This is especially true of, of this kind of man. But uh, it, it happens to a lot of us that we begin to think, well, I'm... Like, I'm the guy who's going to fight. Like, I'm God's chosen vessel to, to fight the powers of darkness, and I'm going to be Martin Luther, and I'm going to be the, you know, the, the man of this generation to rise up and, and do the most damage. And perhaps, by God's grace, you will. But you never do so alone. You're not just you. It's not just you that God is working through. It's not just you that, that God chooses to use to advance his kingdom. Right? It's always within the greater covenant people of Christ. It's always within the greater body of the church, the greater hierarchy of the church. But it is true that as part of Christ's body, right, as, a, as an extension of his body, that's what you are as you're united to him. You are a part of his body, not you alone, but as you are a part of his body, so you have been given some of his authority some of his dominion, some of his rule, in whatever domain of life he has put you. You've been put into a position of some authority to tell of his grace, to grow in obedience, right? to do what you can to put an end to the destructive work of the devil in the world. Remember, Solomon doesn't ask that you know, he be given more. He just says, Lord, give me what I need to faithfully do what you've given me. So this is what we pray when we pray that the, the kingdom of God would come, that it would advance among us, that the kingdom of his grace would advance among us. But it is more than that too. Because scripture speaks a lot about the, the kingdom of God, of its coming in Christ and advancement now, but, but also of the day when that kingdom in all of its glory will be established at his coming. And that's meant to give you hope as you look to how Christ will establish his kingdom, his justice, his authority, and his rule in the world perfectly, that's supposed to give you hope. And as we pray this, we're praying with hope in that kingdom. Jesus has established his kingdom, and in fact, he, he himself is the fullness of that kingdom. And so even when he was in this world, in his incarnation, uh, he tells those around him, the kingdom of God is among you. Right? Why? Because he is the, the, the fullest representation of that kingdom as the covenant head. So this kingdom has come. Jesus has come. It is growing. It is advancing. But we recognize that it's not yet. 
at that place where it will be. It's not yet that, that glorious vision that we see of the kingdom fully established, of the earth fully filled with the glory of the Lord. There's much to be done. There's a great harvest yet to come. And there are many enemies of God yet to be defeated in the world. But there is coming a day when this work will be completed. Right? There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return, where even death itself will be defeated. A day when Jesus will hand the kingdom that he has established over to the Father, when he will have the full victory. There's a day coming when we're told that, that the kingdoms of this world will fully, in every way, become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Right? He has already begun this work, but it's not yet at its completion, but it will be. And so you're called to pray. So pray. Pray that God's kingdom would be established, that his rule would increase, that the kingdom of darkness would be overthrown, that the rulers and principalities and the spiritual forces of darkness in this world would be crushed beneath the foot of Christ, that all the world and all the kingdoms of men would become the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would continue this victory march, and that you might play your part laying down your life on the battlefield for such a king. Right? If, if you see where there is still in you obedience to sin, to flesh, to the devil, pray. That's what Jesus teaches you to do. Pray. Do you see the, the darkness that is yet in the world? I think you probably do. Well, then pray, Jesus said. Is the host of God, the church of God, being routed or flanked by the kingdom of darkness? Well, where it is, pray. People of God, you are called as soldiers of the Lord who have been seated in authority with Christ and empowered to rule by his spirit. And so pray, he says, that the kingdoms of this world would be crushed, that sin would be brought to an end that Jesus Christ would have dominion, that his return would come quickly, and that he would establish his kingdom in all of its glory. Right? God has determined to accomplish his purposes through you, through the church. He's always done that, to accomplish in the world what he wants through people. Right? First Adam and Eve, but now, even after their rebellion, through a new humanity as it is constituted in the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ, and that's you. So pray that you might be a mighty weapon in the hand of the Lord against the forces of evil. Pray that his kingdom would be advanced and that he would come quickly to establish it once and for all. That's the prayer. Let's pray that even now. Lord Jesus, we do pray that your kingdom would come. Lord Jesus, would you continue to establish your rule among us. Destroy any part of us that is not yet in submission to you. Lord, give us a total loyalty that we would be fully surrendered to you. And help us, Lord, to see our place where you have uh, given us a charge in this great battle that we might fulfill it well 
that we might see ourselves in terms of your kingdom and the place that you've put us in. Teach us this, we pray. Empower us by your spirit. And may you have all of the glory in Christ's name. Amen.